Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. What's up, Fungal Associates? Welcome to Completely Arbitrary, the podcast about trees and some other related topics. I am one of your hosts. My name is Alex Croson, and I am aside. My co-host, as always, Mr. Casey Clapp. Oh, hello there. This is Whoa. Casey Clapp. Sorry, did I peek? There's too much. No, you didn't peek. You just, uh, I got a little, I gave me some goose pimples. I was trying to go do the, uh, I don't know, like the, the racers. Here comes Johnny, you know, and they uh, did the run. What am I thinking of? I have no fucking idea, if I'm honest. I feel like there's something that- Wrestlers? Mm, no. You know what I think I'm thinking of? Mm. Uh, it was uh, Greyhound dog racing way back when. Wow. I think I've seen a couple of those. Um, my family used to do that like years and years ago. Like They worked at kennels. Like, yeah. You know, things. And I, I don't- I feel like I remember- So they had a rabbit- there was just like this this little like fake thing that would go around the circle uh-huh. in these big you know racetracks, like a little plastic rabbit that they yeah. they send on a track on the on the exactly. inside yeah. aisle. And yeah. I feel like I always recall that being like like here comes this, and then like it would oh, go. I but maybe see. I'm just completely wrong. Anyway, we're getting off topic. This is not rabbits and other related <laughs> topics. Okay, it could be. That's our other podcast. <laughs> oh man, two uh, episodes. Yeah, two episodes. This is a rabbit. This. Is a hair. Oh. Yeah. You didn't think I could do two. Yeah, we'll do a bonus episode on the jackalobe. Oh, I was going to say the jackrabbit might be a, a. I like jackrabbits. Kind Does of that count as rabbits? Is that a subspecies, maybe? Oh, gosh. Somebody email us. Please email us. We would love to know. They were already starting on their draft. <laughs> they were already. They're already a paragraph in. Yeah. Casey. We have a lot to talk about today. I'm not going to lie. That's reasonable. I don't like it when you do. And you know this as well. And we. Uh, are covering a pretty cool tree today. Yes, we are. A pretty old tree. I think it's old and cool. Can he, Can you be, as some of my Frisbee friends would say, old but still lit? <laughs> well, if, if 
I mean, we we've talked about fishing for episode titles before. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that one that one jumped in our net. Yes. All right, we'll do uh, it. <laughs> Casey, today we are talking about the Great Basin Bristlecone Pine. That's right, we are. That's right, we are. What a name! You're welcome, everybody. We talked about before we started recording. We talked about. Uh, basically, I, I got confused, and then I got double confused, mm-hmm. and then my confusion folded back in on itself to yes. create a quad confusion. I would say that your confusion supernovaed. Yeah, it was a, it was a bit of a, a dwarf. What is that called? A hot dwarf? Ooh, yeah, it's uh, not hot dwarf. <laughs> I think it's a hot dwarf. Is that name number two? I think it is. <laughs> um, uh, and so basically, the 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 sort of. Uh, impetus of my confusion as, mm-hmm. the, as we would say mm-hmm. was that we're covering the great basin bristle combine that's right and then you said no wait let's do the what was the other one the other one was the rocky mountain bristlecone pine yes and then you said no wait let's do this third one the inner mountain bristlecone pine see and then i discovered that there's also another species yes. entirely yeah yeah that one is the uh balfouriana the foxtail pine yeah too many there's too many there's too many trees we need to uh, you know what this is going to be controversial we need to get rid of some of these trees. Wow. Let's just go burn down these ancient forests because you know what? They're too complicated in their naming. That's right. You can ca- you can quote me on that. All right. I will. I will. Uh, well, n- no, we we're talking Great, ba- Great Basin Bristlecone Pine. Exactly. Also known as the Inner Mountain Bristlecone Pine, the same species, which is Pinus Longeva. 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 Oh, which possibly... Does yeah. that come from longevity? I think it does. Because this is Alex. this tree is old but lit. Yeah, it's old but, but lit. But still lit. Yeah, it's still lit as lit AF. Yeah, man. Is that can I, can I get yeah, all right, our millennial checked on it. That's <laughs> that's good. Can we get a can we get a millennial? I guess we are millennials. Yeah, Whoa, we technically are. That's see that just tripped me out cuz I was yeah. like what's younger than a millennial? Casey, let's imagine that you and I like every episode are walking in the Great Basin, about 11,000 feet in the air. That's right. And we come across some Great Basin bristle cone pines. Oh, and you're just stunned, Alex. There's no question. We both become catatonic. And when we come to, I say, Casey. What am I seeing? (laughs) Tell us about this tree. All right. So this tree, this tree is spectacular. There's no other way to possibly put it. It's true. But we'll start We'll start with the little things and we'll get to the big things because I think that's the best way to describe it. That's great. So you're looking at the little things. You're saying, well, what is this tree going to look like? You grab a little bunch of needles. You shake hands with a tree. Mm. The first thing you notice is that there are a lot of needles and they're in bunches of five, fascicles of five, um, split up into uh, these these very like tightly bunched needles yeah and so as all the things that are in the true pine genus pinus they have needles that are in uh bunches of two three or five that's right except for a couple things that have just one needle and that is probably what used to be two needles or some other amount of needles and have fused back together oh wow but each one of these uh these needles all the five the three or the two they are essentially one needle that splits into five individual needles, right? Sure, because they come from the same... Give me a moment. Yes. They come from the... You got it. Oh, my God. What is that called? It starts with an F and rhymes with basical. 
fascicle that's it yeah one fascicle so great work really led me to the water there thank you hey you you know what you can lead a horse to water but you can't lead alex to technical tree terminology (laughs) it's true you bastard sorry a fascicle they come from the same fascicle (laughs) exactly so they all grow out as this one thing then they kind of split up and open the only thing is on like let's say the uh the sugar pine or the uh western white pine Mm mm-hmm those five needles will open up and be very sort of, they'll be very different from each other. They'll open up and they'll be very like poofs coming out, right? Okay. Whereas um, with this tree, the bristlecone pine, they stay very tightly packed together. Their needles do not open up wide. They stay really close to each other. So yeah. it almost looks like they are one needle just kind of really tightly, tightly pulled together. And this helps basically keep them warm, really, is the Aww. thing. Helps keep them warm and helps uh, reduce the surface area that is absolutely just thrown out there to the wind. So everything creates a little tiny microhabitat. Right. I'm sorry, not microhabitat. Um, microclimate that helps keep them just the smidgiest warm and doesn't have enough water that goes over the top. Of, I'm sorry, enough wind that goes over the top. What's the difference what these days, What is huh? the difference, seriously? That's kind of adorable that they stay together to stay warm. They're like penguins. They do, they are. Exactly. Not only that, Alex, but they are. They keep their needles all the way down for about 20 years. Mm. So not only are the individual five needles sticking together, they also stick with all the other individuals of five needles that are all down the entire stem. Now, are these uh, adjacently... Uh or excuse me, are these alternately arranged? Uh, no, they are spirally arranged because everything in the pine family is always going to be spirally arranged down that main stem. Oh, are, are pine cones also spirally arranged always? Um, I guess they would not be spirally arranged in the sense where you have, like, they don't they, they don't come out so consistently where you can find that spiral. Yeah. It's kind of like it keeps going, then one pops out over here, and they usually come out at a certain place. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant the scales on a single cone. Oh, yes, exactly. Correct. Yes. The scales are also all are spirally arranged down that central axis. So that's a good thing to remember. Pine trees, an ID characteristic, look for spirally arranged components. Yes, exactly. That is precisely right. Yeah, so they're, they're more or less going to be spirally arranged going all the way down the stem, but they're so tightly packed and it's just so hard to tell where it really doesn't help with the ID characteristic, yeah. except that you can see that there are needles going down way further on the branches than you'd ever expect. It looks like they're just these furry limbs with these really tight needles all the way down, literally for the last 20 years of growth, which could be two inches or it could be, you know, a foot and a half. Well, anyway, the these cones, or these trees, speaking of their cones, mm-hmm. Alex, um, they are bristly. Each one of their spirally arranged needles, or I'm sorry, cone scales. There's too many things we're talking about right now. There's so many components. There's so many. Each one has a little teeny tiny barb on the very end of it, yeah. which makes it not really sharp. Um, like, it's not going to hurt your hand, but you can feel it, and you're like, well, yeah, there's a bunch of little pokey things on it. And those are at the end of each cone scale. Um, right at the very end. Again, this is one of our favorite terms, an armed umbo. Yes. Right at the very tip of each one of those scales. And that makes it so that the cones are effectively blocking little creatures from getting into them too early. They also will be covered in sap, and they're maybe four inches long, maybe an inch and a half or so wide.
wide, and the, all of their cone scales are really tightly packed. Yeah, they're they're not so spread out to where things can just wander in. They're very well protected, and they're protected because Alex, where they're growing, like you said, at these super high elevations in the this really dry, deserty like area. Um, they are the whole area is very resource um, poor. So these trees are like this is a lot of energy I'm putting into these seeds. I do not want everything to eat them. Right. So they are packed together with sap, constantly trying to keep themselves closed up until it gets hot enough to where they can just drop a seed out and those cone scales open, or have a bird, like let's say the Clark's Nutcracker, a lovely little bird that comes in and eats a lot of the seeds from these high elevation trees like the bristlecone pines and the uh, limber pines and white bark pines. Mm-hmm. They will just go in there and they'll open the seeds or open the cones and then stick their tongue in, pull the seed out, and then the Clark's Nutcracker will actually scatter hoard these seeds around uh, in different areas so that they can find these caches later in the wintertime wow. full of seeds. Yeah, and that's what it does. If the bird dies or maybe goes away, then some of those seeds will germinate and you get these groves of, of bristlecone pines in areas that have now been dispersed by birds. Right. And But, of course, the trees don't want this because if the bird is successful at what it's doing, it's going to eat all those caches, so the tree really loses out unless the, something happens to the bird. I would imagine also, and this is a theory of mine based mm-hmm. on no knowledge. Hey, um, yeah, this is the place for it. That's right. Uh, I would imagine these young seeds and these young cones probably taste better because f- they're like fresh. Oh yeah, I would guess so. Don't you reckon? Yeah, probably. Uh, Casey, let's talk. Let's talk. Bark. <laughs> Hark. Hark. We're talking. <laughs> talking. Bark. That was me trying to say okay, but with an A, and that didn't work out. We'll turn it into a different word that already exists. It That's did. good. <laughs> Well, the bark on these trees, um, if you're looking at it, it's actually like a, a kind of brown, not very scaled, not very furrowed, just kind of a brown standard issue tree bark, you know? Yeah. Uh, it'll get, it'll have these little cracks in it that develop as the tree expands and things like that. But for all intents and purposes, it's kind of some boring old bark. It's not very hard. It's not very soft. It's just a very good protective layer. Yeah. But one thing that's striking about these trees is that if you get an older one, and I mean by older, it could be anywhere between 100 and way, way, way older. Um, But these trees that live for so long up there, they get battered by such things uh, as hurricanes, as a bunch of sun. I guess it's not a hurricane. That's not quite the right term. Snowstorm. Yeah, a big snowstorm, and they get battered by the sun in the the like absolutely like hottest times of the summer. They're extremely close to the sun. They they really are. They're they're like the Icarus of the trees, mm-hmm. and essentially they will get sections of their bark killed off by something. Yeah, maybe it got struck by lightning. Maybe there was a um. A, you know, a snowstorm. Maybe it got just ripped off by, you know, something. Who knows what happened? But that section of bark will die. The wood does not decay. Right. It just sits there because there's no decay organisms that are up there so prevalent that it can just start to happen. The conditions are so dry and um, essentially just cold or really hot that it's just not a good place for decay to exist 
period. Wow, that's fascinating. So there's not a, like there's no there's no mycorrhizal activity going on up there. Now I'm sure that there is okay. in the soil, but there's not like the decay fungus that you'd find out here if you just go into our rainforest situation. Uh-huh. The best thing for fungus is like warm and moist areas. So if you have have either hot or cold and never moist, you're just not going to have a good habitat for these decay organisms to exist. Oh, when I said mycorrhizal, I guess I was making a bit of a faux pas because that's soil. Yes, exactly. Uh, mushrooms. Yeah. Okay. So I'm sure that they're here. Fungus. Because these trees live in such, you know, rough conditions up in these elevations where if they did not have those fungal associates Mm -hmm. helping them live, they probably would die. But those fungal associates are in the ground and maybe they'll send up their mushrooms every now and then. I see. So I'm positive that they're there in terms of mycorrhizal fungi, but the decay organisms, they are not present up there or at least not present in um, in such numbers that they cause these trees to decay. Gotcha. So you can have an old tree that is just sitting there with half of it dead and bleached by the sun over literally potentially millennia of this standing tree with one side of it completely alive, one side of it completely dead, and the tree will just keep cooking. Yeah, these trees, I've noticed from every... I've I've never seen them in real life. Actually, I want to. Yeah. I want to go to the Great Basin. Highly uh, recommend. It's so beautiful. These trees are extremely asymmetrical. Yes, that's a great way to describe them. They look like 50 years ago, the left side got fucked up, and then 10 years ago, the right side got fucked up, and like a thousand years ago, the whole thing got fucked up. Like They they look like they are in a constant state of recovery. That's a great way to to describe them, yeah. Mm. And then at any one given time, they could have also had a fire come through, and they could be bleached, um, because this side has been in the sun, it could not be bleached on the other side and be like this bright orange red wood um, because it's not in the sun. It's always in the shade. Yeah. Then you have the living bark over here. Then you have this other thing that maybe a fire came through, you know, 10, 400 years ago. Who knows when? It's some serious off-grid living these yeah, things do. Yeah, that is the best way to describe it. Um, But because of this, when you see the bark of these trees, the bark is not always the thing that you're saying that you're seeing and be like, oh, I'm going to identify this tree by the bark. It actually sometimes is the lack of bark that helps you be like, okay, I can see that this is, you know, if you're sending a picture, there's no other trees that grow up at these elevations. Hmm. So you're never going to be like, well, is that this tree or is it this tree? They're so distinct. Yeah. And maybe you'll get a white bark pine. Maybe there's a limber pine that look really similar that Hmm. have these same things going on. We can talk about the differences in the cones of those two. Oh, yeah. Um, rather, of those three. Um, but, yeah, the the bark and the wood and how weathered the wood is all together is what makes these trees look so spectacular. They also don't get very tall, Alex. They are in such a harsh condition where if you have a 40-foot-tall tree, it's massive. Wow. If it is four feet in diameter, which for any of the trees growing, even if you just go straight to the coast or straight to the Sierra Nevada from this exact location that mm-hmm. we're talking about, the um, this uh, Inyo National Forest, White Mountain, uh, Bristlecone Pine Forest, the Shulman Grove, that area right there, if you just go maybe 100 miles to the west, 200 miles to the west, you'll be in the Sierra Nevada and a four-foot Ponderosa or Jeffrey Pine, whatever, dime a dozen. You can see them all over the place. Right. So this tree, though, it takes it millennia to get that big. They grow so slowly and they get set back 
all the time to where in order for them to actually put on that kind of girth, these trees have been living for sometimes, and I kid you not, one single tree more than 5,000 years. Absurd. Let's do the math on that real fast. Okay. 2,000 years ago, what was going on? Christ was walking around. He was talking to people. He was having them do all sorts of things. He was performing magic and doing all sorts of cool stuff. Uh, the Romans were in control <laughs> of everything. Magic. <laughs> the tree that I'm talking about, which I I can't remember the name. I'd have to look it up. Um, it is, they've, they've been measuring these trees for many, many years, right? And they are trying to find the ones that are the oldest. They used to find one that is, I think, 4,500 years old. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Okay. Um, but then recently, they just kept looking, and they found one that is over 5,000 years old. And that was the thing. They wanted to see if they could do that. Wow. So that tree that is still living today... 2,000 years ago, when the entire world that is um, Central Europe, which for those people was the entire world, this tree was already 3,000 years old. That's bonkers. Now, let's go back another 1,000 years or even 700 years, 500 years. We're talking like um, the the Greeks were fighting it out with the Persians. The Persians were taking over everything. Um, there, You go back another 1,000 years and this tree is 1,000 years old and there were Egyptians who were like, we should build a pyramid. <laughs> you know? This, that would be kind of cool. Let's try yeah. that out. See, that tree, or that tree was born was born yeah let's go with it around the time tr- the city of troy was founded yes allegedly <laughs> that tr- that city is so old it wow. might even be mythic that it never even existed well yeah you know what i mean that's a different podcast yeah, okay yeah wow hardcore history but yes and so i i'm just trying to do all this from my brain right now and remember and so i'm sorry that i can't get exact dates of you know when you're, the the chinese emperors are going on you're doing a pretty good job i really appreciate that thank yeah. you well let's take then into consideration um when the sort of accepted time that uh, humans came into North America. Okay. Sometime, and this is going with like the the Clovis, uh, I think it's the Clovis arrow, Clovis man or something like that, um, where essentially there's one design of arrowhead that they have found and dated throughout um, Western North America. There's one spot in uh, Eastern Oregon in a cave. I think it's called the Paisley Caves. Mm. And um, they have, they found like human remains. I think it's the, the uh, what is it? Petrified poop. I forgot what the term is for that. So they found, they're like, okay, people were here, we're pretty sure like 14,000 years ago. So if people were just then walking down through and over after the last ice age ended and they're cruising around Western North America, going east, going south into South America, mm-hmm. this tree was 5,000 or is 5,000 years old. If it was created by another tree that put out a cone when it was 5,000 years old, right. and we keep going back, the generations of this tree, since humans came to North America, like these species, way before any colonization in terms of uh, like European people, uh-huh. this is literally the first steps of bipeds coming onto this continent. Yeah. There's only been three generations of this tree. That's wild. Three. Ah! And Casey. It just blows my mind. We're going to talk plenty more about the age of trees. Hey, with a capital A. Yeah, I think that's this. Yeah, that's the right way to do it. Plenty more after the break. We'll be right back with more Completely Arbitrary. Completely Arbitrary. 
Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. Today we're talking the Great Basin Bristlecone Pine Tree. That's right. Casey, as you once famously said, something I will never forget, trees are generally really old all the time. (laughs) Yes, they are. Today we are talking age in trees. That is exactly right. And a term that I know, and a term that I knew before we started this podcast. Yes. Dendrochronology. Oh, I'm so happy that you are you knew that before. That's stunning. Yeah. I mean, not that you did know it. It's just I don't know half I don't know almost anyone who's ever even heard the term, much less like has any idea what it means. Really? Yeah. Well, truly. let's let's define it first and then let's talk about it. Dendrochronology is counting tree rings and getting information from those tree rings, but going back way, way, way long periods of time yeah. and then inferring things from that data. And generally, one ring equals one year. Yes. Because most trees put on about a ring a year. Exactly. Now, okay. there is, uh, if you're in the tropics, those trees, they don't put on rings. They ring in the new year. Oh, God, get out of here. Sorry, I had to get that in. Yeah, I guess you did. Well, no one's unhappy, but there's certainly no one that's happy. I think there's at least one person. If you enjoyed that joke. (laughs) Please send us an email. (laughs) Well, the idea of dendrochronology is that you are making a chronology using the rings of these trees. You're exactly right. In the tropics, there are no seasons, so there are no tree rings that come, you know, each individual time. The trees just basically keep growing all the time. I see. There's no reason for them to have this kind of seasonality. Oh. Some trees, though, they will uh, They will put on maybe two rings a year because maybe they just get this really great wet and mild fall or something, they and had then a they, good end up, year. They, they stick on another ring. Sometimes trees will skip it. In fact, some trees are more likely to do that, where they just are like, nah, not this year. Okay. And they just don't put a ring on, you know? So they, they, this has been documented, and it causes a lot of trouble. However, most of the time, you're exactly right. And the bristlecone pines are notably very good at doing this, where they would just put on consistently one ring after another every single year hmm. for well over 4,000 years. Amazing. Like, like 4,000 years is, is nothing to them. It's the next 1,000 years that you start to see them really drop off. That's where you don't see a lot more. Hmm. But um, easily over 4,000 years of rings. Now, why these trees are so interesting is because they have... Uh, at least interesting in terms of a dendrochronology sort of uh, perspective, Mm. is that they have, uh, not only is the area that they live just not really suitable for decay, um, they also have resinous wood that is decay-resistant in and of itself. Wow, good for them. So, yeah, so it's a double whammy of let's, let's let's uh, let's not go away anytime ever soon. Yeah. Then you have kind of these three sections of trees that will, or these three kinds of trees that exist that they would use. And basically, um, you cut the tree down and you have this perfectly, you know, this flat slab. You cut it really low because remember, the first ring is put on when the tree is, you know, an inch tall, that first seedling. Oh, sure. And then, but that is, you know, a quarter of an inch above the ground. Then every single year you get another ring, but they only grow outwards from that very first ring so if you put on if your tree only grows up um an inch let's just do an inch to call it easy okay. it grows an inch exactly over 10 years we have one inch two inch three inch four inch every year okay if you now have a 10 inch tall tree right make sense 
Yep. Okay. So if you cut that tree down and you give it another 100 years, then you cut that tree down at 10 inches above the ground, Mm -hmm. then you are missing the nine rings before that. Does that make sense? No. Okay. So it grows as a cone. A tree grows as a cone, right? So the first year is just a, a straight line. Okay. The next year, if you want to just draw this diagrammatically, uh-huh. the next year you'll have two lines on either side of that first line. Oh, a cone. Yes. A oh, geometric sorry. shape. Yes, yes. Where you have a new cone is put on the top yes. of each individual uh, of the old cone, Because it is not only growing up, it is growing out. Exactly. But each time it grows out, it also grows up, but it does not grow out the same time that it grows up. <laughs> Now this is really confusing. Wow. <laughs> so this is the, the diagram that I've used a hundred times. Um, usually would have branches, but we're just going to forgo the branches right now. Okay. So you have one line on the very bottom of your page. Then you put two lines on either side of that marking year two where that tree grew out. Yes. But because it's a circle, it grows out one radius one way, one radius the other way. Got it. Right? For one diameter. Yep. Then it also has one line added to the middle line. So now you have three lines on the bottom, one line on, on top, right? Okay. Yep. That's now year one with three and year two with one. Got it. Now, do that same thing. Repeat that pattern 10 times as that tree grows up 10 years. Mm-hmm. So now you have uh, 10 lines on one radius on the bottom, each one marking one year of growth outwards. Okay. And then as you go up, you have 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, and 1 for that 10th year. I see. Does that make sense? Yes. So if you cut it, now if we go back to our our 10-year-old tree that's 10 inches tall, if you cut it at the very top, you only count one ring because it's only grown one year at the very top. Sure. But then if you go down to the very bottom and you cut it down there, you have 10 rings because that bottom part has been growing out for 10 years. Yes. Because trees, again, only grow up from that apical meristem. Right. They don't grow um, from the bottom up like grass does. Okay. They just grow from the very top and add on another one and another and another and another. Got it. So um, when you're doing these dendrochronologies, they try to cut it as low as they can to capture all the rings because if you go, if you have such a tree that's growing so slowly, even if your variation in where you cut is an inch or two up or down, mm-hmm. you could be losing for a tree like this literally 50 years of growth. Oh. Yeah. So it gets really like specific really quickly. Interesting. So they cut this slab off a living tree. This tree was called Prometheus. Wow. And um, according to the the Wikipedia article, and um, I think I've I think I talked about this on Ologies way back when. Wow. Famous story. Radio Lab also did a thing on this. This tree was four thousand eight hundred forty four years old, and it was cut down. <laughs> God, I know you're just like what. Yeah. They cut this down. The poor guy who did it um, uh, was just so, he was destroyed by it. He was a researcher. He was trying to research dendrochronology, and he ended up, was he was boring into the tree with a increment bore, which mm-hmm. is a, a tool that drills in, pulls out a core sample of the tree, and you can count the rings from that. Oh, that's how you do, uh, that's how you test Parmesan cheese. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, like nice. a cheese wheel. They'll do, <laughs> they'll bore into the side of it and bring it out and test it. Oh my God. Yeah, okay. That's exactly, this is this is the, yeah, they, they did a cheese wheel analysis of this Prisco pine. <laughs> um, but these uh, these machines or these uh, tools are really, really like specific and expensive. And he ended up getting two of them stuck. So he was like, well, he asked for a permit. Hey, can I cut down this tree? There's literally 
you know, a hundred trees directly next to it that looked exactly the same in terms of age, size, all this stuff. Yeah. It just so happens Ugh. he randomly chose the oldest documented living thing wow. that existed, cut it down to get his tools back. And then when he finished the counting, he was just like, oh my God. That's... He, it destroyed him. Like he, he was, he got so much like hate. He switched careers and studied something else entirely, like died, didn't ever want to talk about it. Like the poor guy, you got to feel for him. Can I say something about this? You may. I, I think it's despicable that he like got bl- hate mail and yeah. shit for this. So not his fault. It really isn't. He got a permit. Like he went through the right things to do it. Yeah, it was yeah. a complete coincidence. It was complete coincidence. And the like environmentalists, like people who knew about this, like p- specific people who were like, no, we know exactly which tree this is. Yeah, they were really mad because they were like, no, this tree is known. We already knew this. Why didn't someone say anything? And it's like, well, all right, I guess. Wow. Well, I mean, of course, it's okay to be upset about it happening, but yeah. but not targeting this man exactly. And he was doing good work like he was he was doing research on these trees you know which is why we think they're so incredible right now was half because of his work right so essentially um this was Prometheus. There's another one now that's called Methuselah. And Methuselah is 4,853 years old. According, okay. again, to this Wikipedia. I'm just quickly looking it up because it's only a sideshow to what we're actually talking Remind about. Remind me, today. is that older than, than Prometheus? No, it's just a little bit younger. Okay. Yeah, but there are other trees now that they have counted that are more than 5,000 years old. Wow. And so what is interesting is that if you have one of these trees, let's just say it's Prometheus, right? We cut that tree down and you can count back literally each individual ring. And that ring or that ring count is 4,844, representing one year each, right? Mm -hmm. Now, each one of those rings, Alex, if it's a good year, it's going to be a little bit wider. If it's a bad year, it's going to be really, really tight. Okay. And this will be uh, in a pattern across the entire tree where you have maybe some years that are bad, some years that are really good, maybe a really, really bad year. And then it took it four, five, eight years to like build its way back up to making big rings. Sure. Either way, you're watching these different things. And this is all climate data. It's like looking at a graph almost. Yes, that's exactly it. We can say, well, how good was the year and good would be maybe how much water how much sun did it get cold did the snow melt you know these kinds of things sure but now that's going back and you can make some inference to what the weather was like for the last 4,844 years wow this is off of a living tree oh the weather yes wow it was living every single one of those years now next door to that tree is a dead standing snag okay we don't know exactly how long that tree's been alive. We don't know how long it's been dead. We just know now it's dead, right? Give me the uh, 50 word or less definition of snag. Ah, a snag to is remind people. a standing dead tree. Okay. Easy as that. Oh, that's, that was like standing seven. Standing dead tree. It's three, Alex. <laughs> I'm going to use up my other 47 words. It is a standing dead tree with a... Oh, life. no. Sorry, I'll stop. Never there. give Casey a word allowance. <laughs> he'll, he'll abuse he'll it. He'll use every single one he gets. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, a dead standing bristlecone pine. Okay. You cut that down at the very, very bottom. And remember that we have these patterns where we can say, okay, how big and how little. Now, all they started to do is they said, well, we know this tree also has X amount of rings in it. Let's say it has another 4,000 rings. Mm. Then what they do is they would then connect those two and um, 
lines, those two graphs, essentially, of these trees, and they would move them around and match them up until the rings match perfectly wow. in terms of the thickness of those rings. Okay. Because each tree is essentially in the same exact habitat, the same exact soil types, the same exact everything they're literally maybe feet apart from each other they might as well be identical exactly they're doing the same exact amount of work every single year based on how whatever's going on in the in the climate so then what they've done is they have done that with the standing trees multiple standing trees and they've done it with dead trees laying on the ground now you would guess over time there's certainly going to be some amount of decay that's going to get in there it's going to work so slowly and these trees are just going to kind of almost just evaporate into the air essentially Mm. and then you have these standing dead trees and these dead trees that are laying on the ground and they've cut into those and they've matched up the rings and they've ended up creating a chronology that goes back something like 10,500 years worth of tree rings that they can say with an exact line drawn from one living tree to a maybe they've cross-referenced a few living trees, then a bunch of these standing dead trees that then go back even further into history, but they died maybe 2,000 years ago but are yeah. still standing. Then the dead trees that are on the ground that died maybe 7,000 years ago but were 3,000 years on top of that. You know what I mean? Wow. And it just keeps going back. And I believe the the chronology that they have established so far for um, bristlecone pines for essentially the White Mountains of California, so it has to be like, you know, a localized habitat and climate, mm-hmm. 10,359 years. Wow. That's so specific. I know. It's because you're counting individual rings. Right. It's one at a time. Yeah. You're not guessing. You know exactly how far back it is. I have an idea. Yes. You know that book, A People's History of the United States? Yeah. I propose a book idea for you, Casey. Oh. Maybe we should edit this out. Yeah. Okay. A Tree's History of the United States. <laughs> that would be... And about dendrochronology. How the way it, fascinating. Yeah. I think that would be a great idea. I feel like you could add in so many other things to that. Okay, yeah, edit this part out. We don't want anyone to know. <laughs> and if you do want this to happen and you're a book specialist, yeah. send us an email because we've already copyrighted all of this. <laughs> wow. Well, so why is this important, Alex? Who cares? Uh... If you're asking me, really, yeah, I would say I don't know exactly, which is a perfectly reasonable thing to do. Yeah. Um, however, there is other data that we have that we can also cross-reference with this kind of thing. Okay. So you know how right now there's a big thing that's happening. It's called climate change. Yes. Well, it just so happens that trees are made of carbon dioxide. They also will take in whatever carbon dioxide is in the air, very specifically. And so what's interesting about trees and their relationship to their environment is that they respond every single year and document it every single year in Mm -hmm. terms of the width of their um, needles, I'm sorry, the width of their rings, as well as the kind of carbon that they put in here. So uh, in the, uh, in the, the way that we carbon date things, are you familiar with the idea of carbon dating? Uh, roughly, yeah. Well, essentially, it's measuring a carbon isotope. I think it's like carbon-14 or something. Okay, I was not familiar. No, oh, okay. Well, um, so we have carbon in the air, and there's a very specific carbon isotope that is uh, ma- mainly, I believe, and this is, this is, again, this is where we go down to like 70% fact, because I looked up an article for this, and it was so like scientifically intense, I had to take a step back. Okay. But essentially, what we do is we measure the amount of this isotope in 
the in different things in any given uh thing that has carbon in it and we can measure what that carbon or what the amount of that carbon is in proportion to other kinds of carbon given its uh half-life are you familiar with any of the things I just said? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So essentially, there's an equation that we can do. Say this carbon isotope will decay and become half of what it was every given moment like this. And there's you know, this big quadratic equation kind yes, of thing. Yes, of course. And so we can mathematically figure out how much carbon is there now and then measure what it is somewhere else. This is where it became challenging for me in the science of exactly how they do that. Mm-hmm. But essentially, we can measure that carbon, calculate, 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 and say this is X amount of years old and give them a, a, an estimate. And that's based on what was in the air at the time. Yeah. And then as soon as that gets put into something hard, like say wood, then it starts to slowly decay in terms of like an isotomic or atomic decay kind of thing. Got it. Not a decay is in a, you know, a fungus. Right. So we can measure it like that. It, the same thing happens in trees. So we can measure the amount of carbon in each one of those individual rings, wow. and we can calibrate the radiocarbon dating for other things. And they've done this in Europe on a bunch of different species because they not only would use the um, uh, the bristlecone pine, but they will use old oak trees and old oak timbers that are in castles where they say, well, we know this tree was cut down and built, or this castle uh, was built, and they cut down the trees for that in 642 BC or mm-hmm. 640 AD or whatever we're using these days, common era, C-A, yeah. C-E. So we basically can can cross-reference all these different things, standing trees, dead trees, trees that were cut down at a known date, cross-reference all of these different things and say, okay, now we have a 2,000 or 3,000 or 4,000-year-old chronology of this area in Sweden, this area in Poland, this area in Germany, this area in France. And we can then say, okay, now that we know all these things, we know how much carbon is here, we can now cross-reference other things that we've carbon dated, calculate that, and calibrate our machines, and basically use trees to make our histories exact and perfect. Wow. Nothing is perfect. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. Near perfect. Yeah. Close. And that is just, it's a stunning revelation for me in terms of, you know, like, let's just say archaeology. Yeah, that's incredible. Where we can all of a sudden start using these trees to calculate things that we never we never really would have ever really cared about or even thought about. And Mm -hmm. now we can say, well, actually, we can use these trees and these interesting chronologies to count back and get like within a couple days or like a couple years not days oh oh, that was my next question was how close can we get like months i guess yeah i believe is it not necessarily months but we can we can guess because we have those things like well we're pretty sure that these all line up perfectly maybe we're off by a year or two Mm. but these people are like looking at this in a scientific manner yeah and then you can measure the carbon 14 in those things say well actually they're so close together that these are actually should be moving a little bit over here Mm. But then you also have to say, well, maybe this tree that we're looking at skipped a year for some reason, you know? So it could go a little bit one way or the other. Um, But there's like um, oaks that go back, I think, like 12,000 years um, and 8,000 years. Like we have different chronologies for different kinds of trees. And it is used in that case for archaeology, right? Yeah. But we can also use the reference for gigantic... um, 
glaciers that we have in um, as you know Antarctica or wherever, mm. and we can drill down and we can get caps encapsulated air and carbon in the ice, and we can measure what those were, and we can figure out and build this entire long history as we get closer and closer to today. We with new these with these new cross references of the trees. So the trees themselves are exact and perfect. The ice, we're pretty sure, is pretty good because we get layers of ice and snow and we can calculate that down to a certain amount of thing. Mm -hmm. So we can rebuild our entire climate for literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years. Wow. Back into history. And then we can use that data and we can say, hey, remember how we had this theory that the the climate was changing because of this and that? We actually have like literal per year documented proof of this that we're not making up this isn't a guess we're not just trying to say well we're pretty sure because the way the graph is going we're going to extrapolate this data and say that this is probably more than it was then yeah we can say no no no. we have 10,400 years worth of tree that says this is the exact amount of carbon that was in the atmosphere and this is how it was growing and this is this and this this casey a truly fascinating uh rabbit hole tumble it's crazy through history let's move into our review i think that's fair of the of the great basin bristle cone pine well said or as i call it the gbbcpt it does roll right off the right off the tongue there's more mental power than i've used in days coming up with that (laughs) on the on the fly good work casey here's how it works we're gonna give some final thoughts on this tree and then give it a rating of 0 to 10 golden cones of honor. Mm-hmm. As our resident expert, okay. we will begin with you. Alex, this is this is the definition of a superlative tree. Wow. It, yeah, that's right. It is the oldest. We've talked about this before, right? The oldest kinds of trees like pando mm-hmm. and you know other trees that we're going to cover surely where people are like well is this the oldest living thing the oldest living organism some will say it's the oldest sexually uh reproducing thing you know the the tree itself where you can look at one single organism you can touch it and know that by just simply assuming that it's one thing you are touching a 4800 year old organism yeah that has seen everything and just to just because i'm i'm you know a curious mind uh it says that the oldest uh, dynasty was the zia dynasty in china mm-hmm. which is circa 2000 uh 2070 to 1600 bc okay so even one of our young trees here was at least as old as the oldest like chinese civilization wow the uh, the same thing, the early dynasty for ancient Egypt, and these are some of our oldest like civilizations. I guess the Sumerians were another one way back there. The oldest one was 3,150 to 2688 BC. That's the early dynastic period. Mm-hmm. So that's also extremely old, but our oldest of these trees is as old as the from the very first ancient Egyptian, and it's still alive today. Yeah. One single thing. It's not cloning. It's not, there's no funny business. There's just walking straight over and saying, you, you're old. There's no question to it. This tree, Alex, yeah. is 10 out of 10. <gasps> this is a 10 out of 10 tree. There's no question. That's, there's, this is a simple fact. I'm sorry. I know you're speechless. I'm speechless. Casey. It's the single greatest tree there's ever been. 
This is your your first ten. I don't know if I'm gonna ever have another one. I honestly, wow. don't know. But there's there's no way I can put this tree any less than that. I'm I'm just such a fan of history, and this thing's watched it all. It's breathed in the same molecules that Caesar breathed in. That anyone breathed in between here and the first dynastic king of Egypt. Yeah. The same molecules have passed through all of them. And now us today still. Simply stunning. One ten, single tree. Ten golden cones of honor. This one's ten, ten out of ten golden cones of honor for the bristlecone pine. From dendrologist Casey Clapp. That's me. Uh, Casey, I'm stunned. I got butterflies in my stomach right now. I'm stunned at your score, but I, you know, your okay. cones are your own. Yep, yep. I, I Okay. I am, I here are my thoughts on this, on this tree okay i gotta see one in person yes i need to place my hand on it yes and feel the ghosts of the ancients yeah i mean this this motherfucker's gotta be haunted it i mean they look haunted they do look haunted haunted they are totally a haunted looking tree Mm. old but still lit and haunted that's right um man oh man (laughs) i think the cones are fine Nothing crazy special. I like the little bars at the end. That's kind of a cute twist. Okay. The uh, but listen, uh, the real the real master class happening with this cone is its age. With yes. this cone, with this tree. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, it is. It is. It has put all of its points into age and surviving. Yeah, I admire that. Okay. I think it's really a cool looking tree, and I think it's a it's a very it's very cool and old. Or it's, it's lit. It's lit. Thank you. <laughs> um, boy, oh boy. I'm so torn. Hey, you, you just remember, your cones are still your own. I don't want... I feel like maybe we should start just saying them at the same time so that we're not worried about what the other person had said or would say. Uh, there is a little bit of secondhand influence happening because yeah. I want to say 9.1. Okay. But in my heart, I'm immediately like, no, it's too high. That's fair. Go with your heart, Alex, All and right. then tell me why. This thing's getting an 8.2. 8.2. Because I think it's incredible, and it's, it's a B minus. beautiful looking, but it doesn't really get me going. Really? Is it, what, what is it missing, I guess, is my question. I'm not sure, Casey. Okay. We is, may never know. Is there a majesty that it doesn't possess, you know? It's, it has plenty of majesty. I'm, I want to factor in the fact that I'm not feeling too passionate today okay. about anything wow so the, okay so this so, is a daily cone fluctuation here it could i mean yeah of course okay. my cones are my own you that, know that is that is that's true uh so yeah i'm going 8.2 8.2 and golden i would love i would love to bring the melodica out but i don't think it's happening today Casey. that's okay that is that is fine <sighs> i am so proud of you Thank that you. we found your first 10 i don't even know i just i'm so i'm overwhelmed by this tree as Alexis Rose would say, I love this journey for you. Thank you. <laughs> Casey, it's time for our completely arbitrary Q&A. Today's question comes from Emily Leedy. Hello, Emily. Hi, Emily. Emily writes, I'm reading The Hidden Life of Trees, and Wollaben makes a statement about how much water a mature beech can course through its veins each day. Mm. That got mm. me wondering, if people are about two-thirds water, how much of a tree is water? And then Emily did something very cool that I loved. They signed Fungally Emily. Oh, 
gosh. Well, that's not lovely. I don't even know what is. It's extremely lovely. Thank you for writing us, Emily. Casey, how much of a tree is water? Pretty straightforward question, I would think. Yeah, that that is a pretty straightforward question. However, it is, it's, I don't know, it, it can be a little bit, it can be a little bit misleading, I think. Okay. And and the reason for the the misleading is that trees are they're a little bit different than us humans, I guess, in that they they will have cells filled with water and their cells will sometimes have water in them, but their older cells will actually like dry out and become very hard and woody and filled with lignin and other things. I guess lignin and other, they're called exudates because they basically get extruded out from other parts of the tree into these uh, uh older cells, the heartwood and things like this. Like an aeropress. Yeah, exactly. But what's left is is the, the water is pushed outwards, you know? It's not you know? a perfect analogy. It's not perfect, but you're you're exactly there. I, I I'm feeling good about it. It's making me want another cup of coffee is what it's really doing. Good. Um but the a tree will have a lot of water in it. And um so I actually um I looked this up and there's a, a lovely again an old uh you know HTML website that I love, <laughs> and it's from a uh, a research forester. Jay Hayek is his name. He's a forestry extension specialist, and this looks like he's from University of Illinois. Oh. And so I like scientists because they do science things. And this specifically is all about the uh, the dry and moisture free kind of wood. So wood you can dry it out, and it still has a bunch of mass, like a significant amount of mass, like a wood the wood that we use in building. Is actually usually kiln dried wood, huh? And it still obviously is really heavy, um, but there's no water in it because it's been dried out to where there's like such a small percentage of water yeah. that it's not going to dry out anymore and, and warp and things like that. Okay. So um, what they're noting is that you can look at it in terms of the mass of like um, the the mass of individual atoms, you know, and that's what that's what they did here. Uh, Jay did and said that trees are approximately fifty percent water by weight and fifty percent carbon um, at an oven dried weight. However, in living trees, they're way different because the living trees are actively moving water up and down. Hmm. Now our cells are so much more floppy and things like that. Like they're filled with water, and that's what keeps them um, essentially pushed out and filled like like you have a water balloon the only reason that water balloon is holding its shape is because it's filled with water a tree and other plants not all plants but trees specifically wood does not need water to hold its shape I it, see. it is all it's uh it's cellulose and lignin and hemicellulose and all the the long strands of sugars and starches that it has that they get built up and they have these really hard cell walls and that is what essentially keeps the tree upright that's what makes wood hard yeah exactly that's exactly it however the water is still moving up there and there's still water moving in and out of these cells when they're alive so as they die water stops getting moved in them only living cells will be moving water up and down everything else will essentially be devoid of water or if it has water in it it'll just be like saturated not really like doing anything okay not pushing it out so that's kind of the big thing if you take a human being and you just dry us so we have no water left gross yeah yeah we almost become like leather i mean it's just like anything oh, else. Oh, Lord. Sorry, it's a bad analogy, but, you know, that's what the question I asked, okay? I'm reading The Shining, and that, that is a little too oh, close gosh. to Oh, gosh, yeah, sorry. 
Um, but yeah, essentially, it's just our cell makeup is a little bit different where we need water to keep our cells um, at a certain pressure to be moving around. Okay. Leaves are similar to that because they don't have so much lignin and things in them that it actually keeps them upright. You know when you see a tree or a plant wilt when it doesn't have any water? Mm-hmm. It's because the pressure, the water pressure in the leaf is so low that it can't hold itself up. Wow. Yeah, it's called turgor pressure. That is the fact of the week. Well, there you go. That's great. Yeah, so whenever the plant, I've had some people be like, yeah, my plant tells me when it's when it's thirsty by drooping. I'm like, that's opposite. so far beyond when it needed water. Wow. Yeah, that's when that's when the tree is now unhealthy. That's, that's, oh, it's not opposite. It's, 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 uh, it's like when, it's like by the time you just think you're thirsty, you're already dehydrated yes, that kind of thing it's exactly like that but it's actually more it's more similar to like uh when your tears dry up that's when i know i need to drink some water oh my god that's where that's about what it's at with the trees when they start to wilt or when plants start to wilt yeah um the water pressure is so low because there's just nothing left like they can't even photosynthesize because they don't even have enough water to physically fill their cells to hold themselves out very interesting yeah so it's really like that is not a good way if you're if that's your definition is that if that's that's how you, listener, are figuring out when to water your plants. <laughs> water them twice as often, <laughs> immediately. <laughs> um, yeah, so in this case, um, uh, in a living tree, uh, it's more like two-thirds water by mass. Hmm. But that's only by mass because it is, it's holding the water and it's moving it up and down and it's doing stuff with it. Right. It's not actually inside the tree. Once you dry it, the tree is still really heavy. Um, but they break it down into, um, let's see, in dry wood, moisture-free, fifty about 50% carbon, about 40-so percent oxygen, and about 7 to 10% everything else, including hydrogen. Mm. But those are like built into the things because you, you have to think, you know, have oxygen and hydrogen, both those together, that's water. So when you actually have a living tree, it's like 65 to 70% oxygen by mass, 10% hydrogen. That's because you have H2O. So you have two hydrogens, two oxygens. Oxygens are really heavy. So it's really like, it's a challenging thing to come up with, but it's not. It doesn't quite translate perfectly. But essentially, it's like two thirds water is in a tree, and then when you dry it, that water all goes away. But the tree's mass is still really high. Right. Yeah. So it's not. Uh, it's not quite the same. But yeah, if it's cursing coursing through the tree the way that they're talking about in the hidden life of trees. Mm-hmm. That is water that would count inside the roots, inside the stem, in the cambium, in that sapwood, moving up in the leaves and then getting evaporated out. And that is like gallons upon gallons, like kind of a stunning amount. You know, like when it rains and it's like, oh, well, there's like an inch of rain, like whatever. But then the water, like our waterways start to flood. You're like, what? How is that happening? Like it was a tiny amount of rain. It turns out a tiny amount of rain over a huge area is a lot of water. Right. So with trees, all of their roots are going out collecting a minuscule amount of water. And then that's all getting concentrated in the tree, then going up and then going out the leaves. But if you just do the calculations and measure it, something like a cottonwood is like hundreds of gallons a day. Wow. Yeah. Eucalyptus, they used to drain swamps right. because of so, so much water is going through them. So that's the that's the kind of thing that uh, the, the question I think is really referring to. So the problem is, I guess my answer is they're not made of water in the same way that human being is made of water. Yeah. So that those uh, the water is just coursing through it and being used in processes, not necessarily as something that is inside the cell, always holding it open and, and used uh, you know to keep it alive. Although right. it also is to you know a big 
big extent. The difference in that analogy, the reason it doesn't quite work as perfectly as we wish is because the water in the human body is in the cells. Yeah. And in a tree, it is like between the cells. Yeah, sort and of. exactly. And, and it's being used and being passed amongst the cells. Where, yeah. But they do, you know, they do have X amount of water in the cells just to make things, you know, work. Right. Um, but the cells themselves do not need the water to hold themselves up other than the leaves. That's all done already. Got when it. They, when they were built and lignified. Thank you, Emily, for your question. If you have a question for Casey about trees, email us at arbitrarypod at gmail.com or check us out on Instagram at arbitrarypod. That's A-R-B-O-R-T-R-A-R-Y pod. Or you can support the podcast on our Patreon, patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. You can join the Arboretum, get two extra bonus episodes a month or the Cone of the Month Club and get a unique cone sticker illustrated by an independent artist every single month. Casey. Alex. I just said Alex, but my, my voice did not go. It was just, I, I just voiced the A and the L, and then my voice did X. You're, you, you had the right mouth shape, yeah. but you had no projection, my I boy. I didn't. Hold on. Let me try again. Alex. <laughs> I thought you were about to scream into the microphone. No, no, no. Just project into the microphone. Use gotcha. my lungs. <sighs> Casey, do you wish to live till 4,000 years old? You know, a part of me does. I think that would be really cool. Well... Yeah. I think it would be torturous. Yeah, I think it would be torturous. Now, the question is, would you like to live for 4,000 years in a place like the Inyo Mountains? Absolutely not. <laughs> you're just, every now and then, some bird pecks all your seeds out, Yikes. and you're just like, get out of here. But you can't move, <laughs> and you just get to slowly watch all your habitat dry up and become worse. Yeah, that sounds like hell. Yeah, yeah, but you know what? They've been doing it for 4,000 years. Honestly, it's, it's one of those things where these trees are like... I don't know. They've been doing it for so long. If it gets worse, are they just going to be like, been here already? Thank you. 5,000 years, people. 5,000. Get a life. That's part of their life. Yeah, I think so. But if we kill them off, man, we're really in a state. Oh, boy. Anyway. With that, we say (laughs) thank you for listening to Completely Arbitrary. We will see you next week. We will see you there. Completely Arbitrary is produced by Alex Croson and Casey Clapp. Our artwork is by Jillian Barthold, and our music is by Aves and the Mini Vandals. And you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. And find additional readings at completelyarbitrary.com. Thanks for listening. 